0: The teaching last week discovered the behavior of weaker believers and mature believers uh, together. We also talked a lot about meat. And, um, and it's tough when I'm talking about food because I lose half of you as we're getting towards the end of the service. You're thinking about lunch and food and, you know, and, and so I don't want to... Uh, talk about that today. In our study today, Paul is going to continue to encourage believers to dwell together and to help each other as Christians. That's what we're supposed to do. We're family. We're all family here in this place. And, and many of us are closer to the family in this place than we are to our actual biological family uh, because we're, our center is God. Our center is the Holy Spirit that dwells within us, and he is the center of our lives. So by having that, sometimes our family members aren't so much on board. Uh, We go and share the gospel with them, and they're not receptive to hearing about Jesus. That doesn't mean to stop talking. Uh, We still need to share the good news because they need to know also And with the way things are going in this world, um, it's the only thing that makes sense right now. People are very confused as to why the world is going the direction that it's going. And so uh, we are the example for them. Today's message is titled, Follow His Example. We continue our study through the book of Romans in chapter 15, we're going to be in verse one, where we read, "We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification." Please, your ne- I know some of you immediately in your mind are thinking, yes, my neighbor that I'm trying to minister to and I want to, you know, share the gospel with. And some of you are like, my neighbor, the guy that leaves his trash cans out all the time, and the guy whose dog goes in my yard, and, uh, you know, yeah, we're supposed to be thinking about them from a godly perspective on how maybe we can minister to them also. This is a continuing theme in this portion of uh, Romans. As as Paul wrote this, after chapter 12, he started speaking all about our Christian lives and, and how we can apply the scriptures to our lives, but also how we interact with each other. There's a a lot of confusion on how Christians are supposed to relate to each other. Because if you look at the Christian church, there's a a lot of confusion among the Christian church. Because there are some people that uh, believe One thing, and there are another people that believe something else. And then there are some that have doctrines that are very confining, and others that are very open to just about anything. And so, how can even the Christian church um, be cohesive when we have all of this confusion among the Christian church? Well, I'll tell you how we solve that problem we go to the scripture. We see what Paul says in the Scripture, what Jesus says in the Scripture, what the Holy Spirit says, really, because it, it wasn't Paul writing this. It's the Holy Spirit using Paul uh, to write these verses. And so, as Paul was writing this, he is taking and and making doctrine simplified so that we can have uh, answers to the questions that we have here. Another subject Paul addresses frequently is putting others before ourselves. And that's important. Uh, another one, if you really read into it, is putting up with others. You know, Because sometimes we can get short with people and we don't have um, the temperament to be able to minister to others because we just, I just can't put up with them. You know what I'm talking about? All of you should be saying yes. Yes, I, I understand what you're talking about. Because all of you, when I said that, immediately had someone pop up in your mind. You, you know, you had their face just right there. It's important for us to recognize that there aren't two levels of Christian, and, and sometimes People get that as a takeaway uh, from oh there's the weak Christian and then there's the strong christian and and there are these two levels of Christian that 's not true at all no matter how strong of a Christian you are there's always going to be someone stronger and there's always going to be someone weaker that's just the way it is because we're not all at the same place in our Christian walk we're all going hopefully to the same place. You know, we're told that we're not going to be perfected or completed until the day of Jesus Christ. But he is the one doing the work. He is the one that's going to complete us. He's going to perfect us at that time. But it's not going to be while we're here in these stinking bodies. We got to be out of these bodies before we can be perfect because there's just no way to make this body perfect unless it's transformed into a new body. And that's going to happen at the rapture. Our body is first going to be transformed and then we're taken up. And so looking forward to that, amen? amen. Some, some of you may be thinking, I got a good body though. I've been working on this body all my life, you know? So why can't I take this one? Nah, the one you're going to get is better. So just look forward to it. So uh, this has nothing to do, when you're thinking about Christianity, you're thinking about a strong Christian, a weak Christian, it has nothing to do with seniority. You can be a Christian all your life and only get an inch deep and a mile wide, and not get any real depth in your life. I know Christians like that. But then I know Christians that are newer Christians that are like so deep in the Lord. They are so solid because they dove into the Word. They gleaned from everything they read they chewed on the word they were into the meat quickly they they got tired of the milk right away and wanted to get in and they wanted to hear what how do i get to the next level not so that i can win an award i wanted to get to the next level because i know the benefits the riches of being deep in my faith and so i want to go deeper in my faith uh, you know with that and and who's measuring don't let anyone you're sitting with measure your faith don't do that first of all measure it here within yourself and and talk to the lord about that i'll tell you when i know that i'm being faithful when i'm trusting and i'm seeing when the Lord reveals that to me. See what you did there? Do that more often. Like maybe more than once a week. Try to do that twice a week, Rick. You're doing good. Try to do that twice a week. And, and, you know, because sometimes when we do something really good and we think, oh, man, that was good. I, I, you know, that blessed me. I I didn't think that it was going to bless me so much. And the Lord really did something good through that. Well, we want more of that, but sometimes we take credit for it. Sometimes, we, oh, man, I, I am so good, aren't I? You know, shoo, man, the Lord got, he got lucky getting me. Um, you know, and, and as soon as we do that, we'll be tripping over something and our nose will be in the ground. And uh, had that happen too. So it's not about seniority. It has to do with the level of spiritual growth that each Christian has in their life. So how do we grow spiritually? H- how do we really do? We put the word of God to use. That's right. We, it's the word by, by faith we can grow. Right, and where does faith comes from? Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. We read that in Romans. Paul told us that. So now we can trust that we're heading in the right direction by doing the simple things: reading your word every day. You don't have to read a whole, you know, uh, book every day. Just read a little bit. You know what I do is I read until the Lord speaks to me. When I open it up and I start reading, sometimes the Lord speaks to me right away. And, and I just get to, and I'm like, oh, Lord, that's so good. That's so rich. Hold on, I want to read some more. Speak to me again. And sometimes he says, no, I just want you to dwell on that for a while. Because there's something he wants me to, to do in my life. He wants me to change in my life. He wants to work on in my life. And so dwell on that. And then sometimes he wants me to read a few chapters or maybe more so that I get the full context of what he's trying to speak to me about. I am not special. Well, my wife thinks so. But I am not special in that he doesn't do the same for all of you. You spend time in his word. He's going to do the same for you. And I know many of you say, yeah, that's how it works for me. I get in the word and he speaks to me and I'm like, he just spoke to me. I had some unusual things happen to me this week and um, I'm not going to go into them. They were personal. But I um, was looking for God to clarify, to help me. Um, to understand what was taking place, and uh, I, the next morning, I open up um, the uh, the book of the law uh, our daily bread the little The little thing that you open up and you read a devotional it 's nothing it 's just someone 's idea. Someone else wrote that a, a year ago, probably they wrote what was in there. But God used what they wrote to speak to me that morning. I asked, Lord, speak to me. Show me what I, what I need to hear right now because right now, you know, I don't know. I'm uncomfortable. So help me. And he used that to speak to me. And then I went to my other devotional that I read every day. I opened that. And that one, spoke to the same subject. And I was like, how did you know, Lord? How did you know that that's what I needed? Uh, And a lot of times we miss out on the little things because we have something going on in our life and we decide not to read. We decide not to spend time with the Lord because I've got this problem going on in my life right now and I've I've got to deal with it hold on that's when we need to be in the word when there's something in our lives going on that we have to address that's when we need to be in the word because he wants to help us through it when we try to do things on our own you know We end up all over the road, you know, and it's right before we go off the cliff. Jesus, take the wheel, get me back on the road here. And and you know, we're we're always looking for his help to solve a problem um, instead of solving the problem before it becomes a problem. You know, And, and Paul really addresses a lot of that in his word here as he's writing these things. So the stronger we grow in our faith, the easier it is to apply the Bible to our lives. We start finding that relationship and we say, you know what, these things apply. I want to apply these things to my life. I want to work these out. Paul is inspiring us always to consider others and others wants and needs before our own wants and needs. And and so that's tough because the commercials tell me I can do these things. I can buy this, I can go there, I can I can have everything, you know, for myself. Why do I have to um look not that you have to buy your neighbor an infinity, but um you know <coughs> We should be considering what can I do in my neighbor's life to um, be a little more useful, a little more helpful, or to lead them into a relationship with Jesus. So when we do that, when we put others before ourselves, we set an example and it leads to edification, edification in our own lives and edification in their lives. It edifies them when we act like Jesus. And it, it, it grows fruit. Verse 3, For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me for whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. And so here's Paul saying Jesus didn't come to the earth to have a good time, feel what it was like to be in human flesh, you know, for some reason I feel like being in heaven, not in human flesh, is a little bit better than coming here and experiencing the flesh. But Jesus didn't do it for himself. He did it for us. He came and bore the reproach. And now David was writing that originally. David wrote those words saying reproach your reproach was put on me. Well, Paul repurposed that scripture and said, no, it was God who the reproach of God was put on Jesus. You see, Jesus wasn't around in David's time. So David, who was a prophet, also recognized the fact that God, uh, his reproach, the people that hated God, it was falling onto him. And now we recognize it was Jesus who took all the reproach of God. He was God in the flesh. And he took that reproach upon himself for us. He did it for us. So that we wouldn't have to endure that on our own. Peter tells us how to handle this. When we get reproached for the sake of God. He said in 1 Peter 4.14, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed. On those that are reproaching you, they are blaspheming, but on your part, he is glorified. He is glorified when we take that reproach. And, you know, it, we, we all want to get to that day where we can be in heaven and those people that reproach God, we can look down and say, nah, 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 nah. Right? No. I mean, yes, but no, that's not. We want to be there with them in heaven. We want them to finally come to the realization that they are wrong and come into a relationship with Jesus so that we see them in heaven and say, no, 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 we we don't. We say, welcome brother, welcome sister, you know, isn't this great? We learned and we're here. We're not going to talk about all the things we did on earth. It says that Jesus will wipe every tear from our eyes. And I believe that that's because there is so much pain and suffering that we've gone through here on the earth that just needs to be wiped away, washed away. And then in heaven there's not going to be any tears because we're not even going to be thinking about that anymore once we get to heaven, we're going to be like, oh my goodness, I couldn't even have imagined this. You know, we look at heaven in earthly terms. Oh, it's a perfectly manicured golf course. You know, it's just, oh, the grass is perfect and everything. And, you know, for golfers, that's what it would be like. For me, that would be hell. Uh, because, you know, that's, but... um you know, for whatever it is, and our, we come to think of what heaven would be like based on our earthly experiences, what we think is really great, you know, about the earth. And heaven, I mean, the worst thing about earth uh, is going to be maybe like what hell is going to be like. But The best thing about earth is still not touching, even scraping the bottom of heaven. It's going to be so much better than anything that we can imagine. Paul said that he saw it and said, I can't even write it. It's illegal for me to talk about what I saw there. It was just too awesome. And so why do we even try? Because we're going there one day. I want to see what my home looks like, you know. It's kind of like when our house burned down, they were going to rebuild it, you know, and it's going to take 10 months for the house to be rebuilt, and we imagined, uh, we remember what the old house looked like, you know, we lived in it for years, and uh, we imagined what the new house would look like, you know, but uh, we didn't know, We, we just can imagine it. Okay, well, here's the shape, here are the rooms, we're putting everything back basically the way it was, and we were picking out stuff, and, and it was like, man, I can't wait to see the finished product, and, and now we live in it, and we, we've been there almost three years now, uh, yeah, three years, and, and it's like, okay, it's wonderful, better than expected, you know, everything is really wonderful, but it's still not heaven. I don't care how nice it came out or how perfect everything it's it's not like heaven so when i when my mind is thinking about heaven it's not thinking about a new house being built you know getting the new car you know as soon as you drive that car off the lot besides losing half its value uh, it, it's also deteriorating you know uh, it, it's also uh, losing its luster after just driving it off the lot, right? Heaven's not going to lose its luster. It, it's not. It, eternity. We're going to have eternity. I can't even imagine. Okay. I've gone on about my house too long now. Because home, that's where we're going to be. We're blessed when we're reproached. It may not seem, seem like it at the time, but we are blessed When we're reproached, we're told in verse 4 that the scriptures were written for our learning and to provide us hope. That's something that um, we have to glean from the scriptures, hope. You see, if we read the scriptures and read them as they're historical or as they're for someone else or whatever the case may be, we're not going to get any hope out of them. We're just going to read them as words. I catch myself sometimes when I'm reading a devotional and I'm reading what the, the author has written and I catch myself, I just read that whole paragraph and I don't remember a word of what it said because I wasn't dwelling on what I was reading. I was just reading it because I know how to read. And, uh, and so I just read the words and I realized, hold on, I just read that whole thing and I didn't get anything out of it because I didn't listen. I didn't read and pay attention to what I was reading and I had to go back and read it again. And then sometimes I go back and read it again and say, wow, that's deeper than I thought it was going to be. And it's really good for us to focus on what God is trying to tell us and dwell on it because He wants to provide us with hope. And we do that when we look deeper, when we take a second look. Unfortunately, mankind has decided to ignore what God has given us in His Word. Mankind doesn't want to hear this. They come up with their own things that are interesting to them, but it makes them divert from the truth. I would rather know the truth even if it doesn't make me comfortable than knowing a lie or or believing a lie and following a lie. I want to know the truth. I want to believe. Even if it makes me uncomfortable. Even if it's not what I want to hear. You know. uh, uh, You know. Give it to me. Tell me the truth. And I am... Much more comfortable knowing that than believing a lie and walking in a lie. Verse 5. Now, may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may, with one mind and one mouth, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Therefore, receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. And so we're supposed to be like minded. He's the God of patience and comfort. Have have you ever felt patience and comfort during a trial? And it brought you peace that you just didn't understand. It's the peace that surpasses all understanding. I'm comforted, but I just, sometimes I don't even know how he did it. But he is the God of patience and the God of comfort. And me, I'm from Queens. So I want patience and I want it now. And I want comfort and I want it now. And that's the problem that many of us experience. We want things in our timeline. We define what comfort looks like. We define what patience looks like. And we really need to let God do that. Comfort can come in many different shapes and styles. Sometimes comfort comes when we least expect it. But you wouldn't experience comfort if you were comfortable all the time. If your life was, you know, comfortable all the time, you wouldn't know what it was like to be comforted. If you had so much money that it didn't matter, you can buy whatever you needed, whenever you needed it, and so on and so forth, you wouldn't understand what it was like to worry about what you're going to do next month if you can't make rent or if you can't afford to drive your car to work. It, you couldn't relate to that. And sometimes it's hard for us to relate to each other because we live in different worlds. You know, we, we live in a world of comfort. Uh, sometimes in our own world, we just surround ourselves with the things that make us comfortable. And it doesn't mean that we're wealthy and rich and all of that. It just means that we're comfortable in our condition, in our zone. And I want to improve that comfort. I uh, want to build the walls around my comfort and hold it in. You know what I'm talking about? And then all of a sudden, something like, Cancer hits. Something that you have no control over. And that takes us down many notches all of a sudden. Our comfort is gone no matter how big of a wall we built. God, he's a, patient, a God of patience and comfort. He helps us to be patient through the trial so we can experience comfort. So we're able to endure the trial. That's the peace that surpasses all understanding. When, you know what? You shouldn't be comfortable right now. You shouldn't be at peace in the situation you're in. You should be like the rest of the world, just out of your mind. You should be confused, hurt, looking for someone to blame. Oh, That's one of the worst things that we do is we look for someone to blame whenever things go wrong. And if it's something like our health, then we blame God. It must be you, God. You're the only one that has the ability to affect my health like this, and we blame him. But God is patient. And he comforts us through those times. He shows himself strong on our behalf when we're going through these things. He wants us to cling to him. He wants us to trust him so that we're not doing these things on our own, so that we're not trying to figure it out, There are people that are still trying to figure things out on their own. And they're miserable. They're hurting. There are many people in the world right now that are living on the street, living drug-addicted lives and alcohol-addicted lives. They have lost many of the meaningful relationships in their lives because of their addictions, and they're living on the street. At that point, they're like, it doesn't really matter what I do. And now we're seeing that start to spike in our world today, where people who don't care, if you don't care about yourself, then you don't care about other people. And now you can go out and have no problem harming another person Killing another person, and we're seeing that escalating in our world today. I'm not going to blame the government for that, although there's some culpability there. I'm not going to blame them alone. I'm going to blame the enemy. See, There's an enemy of God who is doing that to people's lives, making them as miserable as possible because they don't want to believe in God. They don't want to hear what God has to say. But our God is a God of patience and a God of comfort. And He gets us through these things if we trust Him. If we don't trust Him, then there really isn't much hope. Verse 8. And now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers. And what he's talking about is a servant to the circumcision, meaning that Jesus Christ was a servant to the Jews. He came to the Jews to minister to the Jews because that's how God planned this. That he was going to be the Messiah to the Jews when he came and he was going to lead them, uh, save them, and, put, and give them a new relationship with God at that time. And now I say that Jesus has become the servant, excuse me, and then in verse 9, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So now he's talking about Gentiles glorifying God. For his mercy, as it is written, for this reason, I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, there shall be a root of Jesse and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles in him. The Gentiles shall hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so here, he's talking about the Gentiles, the Gentiles, the Gentiles. This wasn't something that was just in Romans here, Paul was quoting from many different sources. Isaiah 42, 6 and 7, Deuteronomy 32, Psalm 117, and Isaiah 11. He was quoting Old Testament prophets talking about the Gentiles having a relationship with God. And this isn't something that the Jews were happy about. The Jews didn't believe the Gentiles could be saved. As a matter of fact, the only way for a Gentile to be saved in the Jewish world was to become a Jew. You had to be circumcised and then follow all the Jewish traditions and that's how you become saved. But then Jesus came and said, not so. I'm changing that? Because I'm going to fulfill the law. I'm going to fulfill it myself. And then when I do that, it's open to everyone. Everyone now is able to have a relationship with God through me. And, uh, you know, then I just want to take a break here for a second. This is one of those things where you read the scriptures. And you understand that these are scriptures that tell us what we need to know as Christians, as believers, okay? How come there are churches out there that get this wrong? I'm just reading the word of God, the literal interpretation of the word of God. How come there are churches that read this and read something else into it? What am I talking about? Um, I'm talking about that particular verse here in verse 12 where it said, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall have hope. There are religions that believe that that root of Jesse is Joseph Smith. Now, how is that even possible? There's nothing in the Bible written about Joseph Smith. But they made it. Joseph Smith. And so the Mormon church is built on the fact that Joseph Smith is the root of Jesse. I'm sorry. Not biblical. They also believe that Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer. Okay, How can we take the word of God and add to it in such a way to make new religions out of it? To completely distract from the context of what the scripture is about, the truth of the word of God is about, and now lead people in a different direction. I I know a, a bunch of Mormons. They're wonderful people. A lot of them don't even know what the church believes, what the church teaches. They don't even know. They just think, I have to go be a good person. I have to go knock on doors. I have to invite people. That's all they know. And they're really... And some Mormons are better Christians than Christians in that they act really like Christians should act. Uh, You know, and, and so... I feel for them because they're being deceived. And we're told in the last days that there's going to be a lot of deception going on. And that's just one of them. There are many churches out there that teach the Word of God. But it's not just so much teaching the Word of God so that we know it intellectually. We have to understand and hear the Word of God here. It has to be part of our lives. If we just intellectually understand what the Word of God says and don't apply it to our lives, we're missing out on what the Word of God actually means. We've lost the reason for the Word of God. And so here we have hope that has been given to us because... We hear the word of God, we know what the word of God says, we apply the word of God, and we see fruit from the word of God. Uh, If you are not bearing fruit, it's your fault. You see, because if you trust the word of God, if you trust Jesus if you trust that God created the whole world is there any doubt in your mind that he can't bear fruit even through you even through me for many years I I thought that I was bearing fruit and I was it was just rotten fruit because I was doing it in my own power. I was doing what I thought God wanted me to do. And I I was doing things as instructed, you know. And it wasn't until God got a hold of me and said, hold on, Rick, you know, you're going through the motions, but um, there's no fruit coming out of it because it's not from me. It's from you. So take a step back. And uh, let me do the work. And when I did that. When I got to that point. Of trusting him to do the work. This is his church. Okay. And and it's not my church. It's not anyone else's church. It's his church. And you are a member of his church. I don't have membership here so that you have to become a member and you have to sign up for anything because it's his church. You belong to him, not me. And so when I consider things from that point of view, I realize I can mess up and it would be me messing up. But God never messes up. So if you're bearing fruit, if you're learning from the teaching, it's because God is doing that work and if I get in the way, all I'm going to do is, is bruise the fruit. And I don't want to be bruising fruit. Okay? I, I really don't. I, I, I want fruit to grow. Because when people see your fruit, they're drawn to it. You know? It, it's like when you go to the store and you look at all the apple, and there's that one apple that just stands out. And you're like, that's the one. And you grab it to squeeze it and say, oh, this is good. This is good fruit. That's what people are attracted to. Healthy fruit. We become healthy by the word of God, spending time in prayer, encouraging each other, praying for each other, and then applying the word of God to our lives. We become healthy fruit. And then others see the healthy fruit and they say, I want what you have. I want some of that. And then we can share with them, well, you know what? I didn't produce it on my own. It's not because I used miracle it, It's It's from the Miracle-Grower. He was the one who gave me The ability to produce this kind of fruit. When we get to that point, then it's God doing the work. And we're along for the ride to receive patience and comfort and peace and mercy because we need an abundance of that. Amen?